You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Thursday to you, and thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day, or if you're joining us on the YouTube channel, your first watch every day. We've got a lot to get to here on a Thursday. I want to start by recapping what we've learned so far from Buffalo Bills OTAs. The session on Tuesday was open to the media, and several players and Sean McDermott spoke to the media, so I have a few things to recap based on what we've learned so far from OTAs. And then the second and third segments today, I want to focus in on some follow-up questions that were sent to me regarding the project that we did earlier this week, the consensus top 10 most important players to the future of the Buffalo Bills. So I want to answer your follow-up questions and, of course, share my specific ballot, right? I was only 1-11th of this project, and uh, I want to share my personal list, my personal top 10, compare that to what the consensus top 10 was. And I think that'll be pretty interesting for us later on in today's podcast. But first, let's talk about OTAs and what we've learned to this point. And the Bills had their first session of OTAs this week. Um, They had a rookie mini camp and had some workouts that were organized, but this is the first real OTA. And my understanding is that For the next several weeks, there's going to be OTAs, and the Tuesday session is what will be open to media, and there will be press availability and stuff like that. So that's when we'll have a real chance to talk about uh, some of the updates coming from the actual OTAs. And so what I want to start with is what I think is the biggest piece of news, and it's that Jordan Poyer is not at OTAs. And Sean McDermott commented on this, and as we know, they are voluntary. They're not mandatory mini camps or OTAs. That comes in a few weeks. So there's no requirement for Jordan Poyer to be there or any player to be there. Um, McDermott did comment that he spoke to Jordan Poyer at Micah Hyde's charity softball event, I think a week or two ago, and said they had a good conversation. But right now, business is business. And as we know, Jordan Poyer is seeking a new contract. He fired his agent, hired Drew Rosenhaus, his wife has been pretty outspoken on social media about the status of his contract and some type of resolution is going to happen, whether it's Poyer plays out his deal and walks after the season, the Bills hand him an extension, the Bills move on from him early, perhaps trading, something will happen with Jordan Poyer. And we don't know the answer to that yet, but him not being at OTAs is somewhat of a signal that, you know, he's preparing to force the issue here. Now, if he's not at mandatory OTAs, that's when we can really start to say, okay, all right, uh, he's he means business and something's got to happen sooner rather than later. But um, we'll see how this all plays out. The Bills do hold a lot of leverage based on the new CBA. And, you know, if players do hold out and do miss mandatory time, you know, it's, it's very much a, a problem for that player. They're going to lose out on a lot. And we haven't really seen something like that escalate for the Bills under this regime. And I certainly don't anticipate that starting now with Jordan Poyer, who's been an instrumental leader for this team since he's walked into the building and obviously been a high-caliber player. But, you know, 
it's not like he was there um, and we have this good feeling about the situation at this point. I, I've said repeatedly, I want as much Jordan Poyer for as long as I can get on this football team. You know, I, I want to keep everybody. And I understand that that's not realistic, um, but I'd love to see some type of resolution here with Poyer, who's coming off his best season. And I still think he's got a lot of good football left in the tank. So he wasn't at OTAs and Sean McDermott said business is business at this point. As for other players that weren't in attendance for OTAs, and this report comes courtesy of Matt Perino of Syracuse.com and Shout Buffalo Football Podcast. Uh, none of these players were seen at all on the field for OTAs on Tuesday. So we know about Jordan Poyer. Micah Hyde was also not there. Daquan Jones, defensive tackle, a new addition to the team. He wasn't there. Guard Roger Saffold, again, a new addition to the team. He wasn't there. So I guess I have some level of disappointment that Jones and Saffold weren't there as new players, but they're veterans. You know, these are guys that have played the game for a long time. I wish they were there, but they're not. And, you know, Sean McDermott kind of talked about this in his press conference where as a coach, he's become more comfortable understanding the side of things where players aren't there when they don't have to be. And he said that's an area of growth that he's had looking over his tenure in Buffalo. And, you know, look, you want everybody to be there. That's how they can get better. That's how they can grow with the team, especially new additions. But at this point, it is voluntary. So Hyde, Poyer, Jones, Saffold, not on the field at all on Tuesday, courtesy of Matt Perino. Spencer Brown was there. Um, or I, I Actually, I don't know if he was there. I know that he has an injury right now. Sean McDermott said he was dealing with a little something. He said that uh, he had a procedure, so I don't know all the details there. Sean McDermott certainly wasn't volunteering, uh, volunteering information, but um, it sounds like he's going to be okay for camp, but right now he's working through a little something. Cornerback uh, Tredavious White, obviously we know about him, is injury rehab, and then Ike Bakker as well, injury rehab. Uh, two players that were on the field but not participating, tight end Dawson Knox who Sean McDermott also said was dealing with a little something and cornerback Tim Harris was also on the field, but not participating. So overall, I think the participation is very, very good. And you really only had four players that didn't participate that didn't have a known injury situation. So I, I think that overall that's, that's pretty strong. All right. Let's, so let's move on from participation and, and talk about some of the things that happened on the field and in the press conferences, and, and this is a a two-parter here where I want to reference something from a press conference and reference a team video that we saw hit social media. And during Josh Allen's press conference, he was asked about Tommy Doyle playing on the inside, and if it was difficult to see over a guy that's six foot eight, you know, playing on the inside, where you typically don't see guys with you know thirty-five plus inch arms in six foot eight playing guard. Um, but sounds like based on the question that was asked and based on the video that we saw of, of one single play, you know, Tommy Doyle was getting reps at left guard. And that's very interesting to me. I'm sure it's just a matter of kind of tinkering with some stuff and getting a feel for the skill sets from Aaron Cromer, the new offensive lines, line coach's perspective, getting a feel for the different skill sets and how they fit into different spots. And, you know, now's the time to kind of tinker with that stuff and see how players respond as opposed to, oh my gosh, it's week three. We need a left guard. Uh, can this guy do it? Right. You you have some level of understanding of their capacity to 
perform in that role if you give them chances to do it now when, you know, look, it's it's practice, it's OTAs, it's not game situations. And I, and I had a conversation with Aaron Cromer about this several weeks ago, and he talked about that, you know, just kind of giving guys some chances early on in the process to get a feel for what they can do eventually as opposed to trying to onboard them when you have to. And so I don't know if the plan is for Tommy Doyle to permanently be a guard or if it's just a tinkering or, or what, you know, but I know that the Bills and every team values versatility. And for Tommy Doyle, I thought his versatility would come from playing right and left tackle. Well, it sounds like he's going to expand um, what he can do potentially to guard, or at least the Bills are going to find out if he can play a little bit at guard. And you think about a guy like Daryl Williams last year who – you know, when Spencer Brown took over at right tackle, Darrell Williams went in and played guard, but then there were times where he had to kick out to tackle. And so without throughout the course of, of, of an NFL season, this stuff happens. And so I think they're just trying to get an understanding of what Doyle can do and if guard is within his realm of capabilities. But um, so you, you think about Josh Allen being asked that question, which was a good indicator that Tommy Doyle was playing some guard. And then, you know, we saw one clip on social media that the team shared. It was an awesome play. Josh Allen um, stepping up in the pocket and hitting Gabe Davis on kind of a corner route. It might have been an over. You didn't see the whole thing, but it was a deep shot down the field. It was an awesome play. And, you know, I, I sat there and I, you know, I watched the video probably 15 or 20 times just trying to figure out the personnel groupings and what players were on the field and what spots. And that's kind of what you have to do because, you know, the, the team, really restricts what the media can report coming out of these practices. And so you kind of have to just piece it together uh, the best you can based on comments, based on questions, and based on the video that we do get a chance to see. And um, the offensive line in that video where Josh Allen connected with Gabriel Davis, the best I could tell was left tackle Deion Dawkins. All right, cool. We, we know that. Left guard was Tommy Doyle. Ryan Bates was the center. Cody Ford was the right guard. And David Questenberry was the right tackle. And with Roger Saffold not there, that certainly opens up an opportunity for a, a shift within the perceived starting offensive line. But also, you know, Spencer Brown dealing with an injury and not being able to play, that opens up an opportunity to put somebody at right tackle. So it looks like the, you know, maybe Mitch Morse was just sitting on a particular play, but, you know, Bates seemed to be at center. Then Cody Ford at right guard. I, I've talked about this many times and you've kind of, seen this gain some momentum. You've heard Brandon Bean talk about it. Cody Ford's going to be given a real shot to make this football team and be a key depth player. You know, there's there's a lot of interest in him from Aaron Cromer, from Brandon Bean, from Sean McDermott, because this guy was a high pick and he really hasn't had a normal offseason to date, right? He's always been kind of working on rehabbing an injury. Um, the last two years, you know, you think about his first year, that's a crazy year to begin with, right? You're acclimating from the entire draft scouting process to all of a sudden you're on a team and you're a rookie in the NFL. So this is this guy's first real off season. And, you know, they're going to give him a full opportunity to, to make this team and be a key depth player. And so, you know, we kind of get our first opportunity to see who that first man up is because, you know, Saffold's not around. And Cody Ford's one of the players that gets a chance to be part of the first team based on that clip. Obviously, Tommy Doyle getting a real chance at left guard. And then Ryan Bates being that guy that's at least stepping in for Mitch Morse for whatever the circumstances were that led to that opportunity for someone else to play center. So I thought that was interesting to kind of get an idea for who those first guys up are. Obviously, Questenberry at right tackle. You know, and if if Doyle's playing some guard, 
you know, that could really mean that Questenberry is that first guy in at right tackle or left tackle. So a lot of interesting things happening here with this offensive line. Um, Matt Perino of the Shout Buffalo Football Podcast and Syracuse.com offered some high praise for Tommy Doyle in his practice recap article that everybody should check out. And he noted some particularly strong reps against Ed Oliver in pass protection. So that's a positive sign to see. Um, based on the team videos that came out and a lot of different beat reporters were sharing different videos that they were able to capture during practice. You love seeing Von Miller out there, out there. I mean, how cool was that to see Von Miller in that number 40 Jersey being part of the team. And you saw him working with some of the young defensive linemen. You saw some situations where he was showing different techniques to Gregory Rousseau and they were, you know, dialed in on each other. And you love to see that from, you know, both sides of it, where Von Miller is immediately, um, embracing the role of being a mentor and a teacher and helping the young players. And you're seeing the young players wanting to soak up all that information, which is super cool. Uh, both Joe Biscalia of The Athletic and Matt Perino, uh, they noted that Marquez Stevenson had some trouble with drops. Um, and look, that's a player that I don't know if there's a, a, a roster spot for. He needs to play well. He needs to showcase himself well um, because the Bills only keep six receivers he could be on the outside looking in. So some early struggles here from Marquez Stevenson. Um, this was interesting, a comment from Sean McDermott regarding Carlos Basham and AJ Epinesa. He said, quote, we need them to really grow and develop and make a mark on our defense and not in a supporting role, but in a primary role. Pretty straightforward. And we know that, right? I mean, you love what you have in Von Miller. We're excited about Gregory Rousseau, who started Every game last year, had a ton of reps, good run defender, showed some flashes as a pass rusher. But we know the Bills are going to play four defensive ends. And so between Shaq Lawson and A.J. Epinesa and Boogie Basham, these guys need to, need to step up and, and be key players for this defense. And, and you could feel that when Sean McDermott was talking about those players. They're, they're instrumental guys to this team this year. And it's time for them to step up. Also found it interesting that Carlos Basham, Boogie Basham, he switched his number from 96 to 55. I mean, come on, Jerry Hughes is gone for a day, and Basham's claiming the 55, a guy that's top five in, in franchise history for sacks, a guy that you know was like a nine-year player for the organization. Basham says, give me that 55. thought that was interesting, and that's going to take some adjusting. Uh, you know, Kyer Elam is 24, which means Taron Johnson's not 24. He's got a single-digit number. I think Isaiah McKenzie is now number six. We got some some number switches here that we got to get familiar with uh, for players that are going to be on the field this year. But uh, one of them being Carlos Basham, now number fifty-five. So when you see fifty-five out there, it's not Jerry Hughes; it's it's Boogie Basham. And Matt Perino uh, commented on Basham and said he had a strong practice. Joe B commented that he slimmed down and lost some weight. You saw some of the team pictures that came out. Um, after the practice, and you could see that Basham looks like he cleaned up his frame a little bit, and I thought he had some bad weight on him last year. And so it's good to see him um, drop some of that weight, and hopefully that leads to him being able to be more explosive and move better on the field and make a bigger impact in year two. The last thing on the Bills' defensive end situation, Matt Perino, he praised Shaq Lawson, said he toyed with the Bills' young offensive linemen, some of those UDFAs, uh, said Shaq Lawson was just taking them to school. And so 
you know, that's kind of the X factor with this defensive end room. You know, we feel good about Groot. We feel really good about Von Miller. You're hopeful with Epinesa and Basham. But don't forget about Shaq Lawson, right? I mean, there's a chance this guy's the first one off the bench, right? You're talking about your top two in Miller and Rousseau, and then it could be Lawson. And, um, might be necessary based on, you know, if Epinesa can take a jump here in year three or if Basham can take a jump in year two. Last thing on OTA recap, uh, Joe B, he praised cornerback Nick McLeod, uh, second-year player UDFA last year, and his performance on day one of OTAs said he was athletic and sticky in coverage. You know, we knew he was a good athlete, but to see him, you know, be more consistent in coverage and stay in phase is exciting. And look, I don't want to overreact to it, but you know, I think that the Bills between some of these young players, whether it's Christian Benford or Nick McLeod or Elijah Griffin, you know, one of these guys would be great if they stepped up and wound up being at least a good depth player and and um, giving the Bills a little bit more out of this cornerback position. I love brownies, but you know what I love more? Brownie batter. Sometimes I eat half the batter just while I'm making the brownies. Imagine if you could lick that, that brownie spatula clean and get some protein in. You're in luck because Built has a new creation, and this one is better than ever, the Brownie Batter Puff. You heard me right. This puff takes protein bars to a whole new level, and they're available right now on Built.com. Have you tried the puffs yet? I'm not sure what you're waiting for. Puffs are a chocolate-covered marshmallow protein bar. That's right, delicious flavored marshmallow covered in 100% real chocolate, and they're healthy for you. Only 140 calories, 17 grams of protein. And only seven grams of sugar uh, in the brownie batter puffs are the perfect pick-me-up for any day. And all Built Puffs are covered in 100% real chocolate. That means with Built, you can eat healthy and actually enjoy doing it. And they're made with high-quality collagen protein, which your body actually absorbs and provides a ton of health benefits. The brownie batter puffs will have you completely forgetting that you're eating a protein bar. No need to pinch yourself. This is real life. Go to built.com to get brownie batter puffs now. I got a deal for you. Use our promo code LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. No business owner wants to deal with the hassle of energy decisions. You just want your business to run smoothly and to pay a fair rate for power. But coming off one of the highest price winners in the last decade, if your business was on a purely variable or market rate, you paid out the nose. Many New York business owners switch suppliers out of frustration, but unless they chose alternative pricing options, they're still at risk for a January repeat. Catalyst Power partners with you or your trusted energy consultant to produce a power supply plan that fits your business and market risk tolerance. They have a suite of options customizable to your business's needs, including options that bundle with or focus on renewable energy. Right now in New York, they are offering an on-site solar solution for your business that requires zero installation, maintenance, or material purchase costs. That's right, no CapEx costs for you. To sweeten the deal, qualified businesses can be eligible for up to six months of at-cost energy supply from Catalyst Power. Go to catalystpower.com slash bills to learn more. All right, let's get into some follow-up discussion here on the consensus top 10 most important players to the future of the Buffalo Bills. I hope you enjoyed and consumed the podcast on Monday and Tuesday. And very quickly, I teamed up with 10 other Bills pot, uh, content creators and, and podcasters to determine who the most important players of the future of the team are. And so everybody submitted a ballot, a top 10 ballot, 
I averaged all the ballots together and we got the consensus list. And so I want to share right now what my list is compared to the group. All right. So you've, you've heard what the group's list are list is, and this is my specific ballot. So at number one, I agreed with the group. I had Josh Allen. At number two, I had Stefan Diggs, which is exactly what the group had. At number three, I had Von Miller. The group had him at number four. At number four, I had Tredavious White, who the group had at number three. At number five, I had Deion Dawkins. The group had him at number five. So the same five players there uh, in the top five, but in a slightly different order, me compared to the rest of the group. Now, this is where things get very different. The back five. So at number six, I had Spencer Brown. The Bills' right tackle, the group didn't have him in the top 10. He was 15th when you averaged all of the ballots together, and, and I was surprised by that. I thought Spencer Brown um, showed a lot as a rookie, and I think he's got a lot of potential, and I think he's a player that can be an impact starter for the Bills for a long time. I mean, given this guy's size, athleticism, his background, uh, I think the ceiling is, is just unbelievably high for him. At number seven, I had Ed Oliver, who the group had at number six. At number eight, I had Gregory Rousseau, who the group had at number 10. Number nine, I had Tremaine Edmonds, who the group had at number eight. And then at number 10, I had Kyer Elam, who the group had at number 14. And, and again, I was surprised that the Bills' first round pick this year didn't slot among the consensus top 10 players. So that's my ballot. And now for your follow-up questions. The first one comes from David, who says, I really enjoyed the two-part podcast about the 10 most important players, the future of the Bills. A few questions for you. Number one, who were your top 10 players? Well, I just shared that. Number two, out of the consensus, is there a player who you did not vote for and or do not think should be there? If so, who should you replace him with? So I had two players in my top 10 that were not in the consensus top 10. And so what I would do is I would take the two players that I didn't vote for, bump them out, and I put the two players that I did vote for and put them in. So Gabriel Davis and Dawson Knox made the consensus top 10. They did not make my consensus or, or my personal ballot. So I would re replace Gabriel Davis and Dawson Knox with Spencer or Elon. And look, I don't want to go like push too hard here because there are so many good players in this roster. I think you can make a really good case for like 15 different players to be in the top 10. Well, you got a math problem on your hand because you can only fit 10 in the top 10. You can't fit 15. So, you know, Gabriel Davis and Dawson Knox would be in that 11 to 15 range, but I would have Brown and Elam higher. And what it really comes down to is just positional importance. You know, Spencer Brown starting offensive tackle, Kyer Elam starting cornerback. Dawson Knox is a tight end. You guys know I love Dawson Knox. I don't have to sit here and convince you of that. But he's a tight end at the end of the day. He's an X factor for the team. He matters. He's important. But give me the right tackle. Give me the cornerback, too, over the tight end. And then Gabriel Davis. I'm really excited about the trajectory of Gabriel Davis. I think he's going to be a really good wide receiver, too. But he's a wide receiver, too. And I think when it comes down to is replaceability. How difficult would it be for the Bills to find a wide receiver, too? I don't think it's as difficult as it would be to find a CB2 or a right tackle. And so the positional component of this pushes me towards Brown and Elam and not towards Davis and Knox. 
Number three from David was, who did you find most surprising in the top 10 consensus list? So I'm going to answer this with three different things, really. The first one is something I've already harped on, is that Spencer Brown, Kyer Elam, neither player was in the, the, the consensus top 10. Like I, I was very surprised that both of them were left out. I was also surprised that Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde were left out. Um, again, they're, they're in that 11 to 15 range for me. You can't fit them all in the top 10. Um, I, I didn't have either one. And so I feel some type of way about that. But you know, I thought with 11 people in this project that you'd have at least one of those guys in there. You know, They've been one of the They've been two of the most important players to the team over the last, you know, whatever, five years it's been. They're coming off their best season together. I know that they're aging. There's some concern over the long-term forecast of them in Buffalo and in contract situations. But you know, I was a little surprised they didn't have more support. And then, you know, Gregory Rousseau kind of barely sneaks in as the number 10 player in the consensus list. And so think about that for a second. Like, let that sink in. The Bills. First round pick this year didn't make the consensus top 10. The Bills' first round pick last year barely made the consensus top 10. That's surprising to me. So those are my biggest surprises in how this project turned out. Colin says, after listening to Monday and Tuesday's panel pods, I was interested by the number of names and talented players the Buffalo Bills have on the roster. If you had to pick one additional player that was not mentioned in your panel discussion, who do you think will make the biggest impact for the future of the Bills or who has the highest ceiling and who would it be and why? So this is fun, Colin. And what I'm going to do here is, is I'm going to take all of the players that received a vote, at least one vote to be in the top 10 and eliminate them. And so that there's 18 players that are gone right there because we had 18 different players receive votes. And, and the players that I think would be the next in line that you know didn't get any discussion at all in this project that I think will make a big impact to this team. It's two players that were recently extended. Ryan Bates, four-year contract, and Taron Johnson, who received the contract extension during the season last year. Both of these players, Ryan Bates is in line to be on the field 100% of the snaps for the Bills this year and for the foreseeable future as a guard, a starting offensive lineman for this team. And then Taron Johnson, who is going to play probably 70, 80% of the snaps at least moving forward as the Bills are a base nickel defense and they love those nickel principles and they love Taron Johnson. He's going to be a critical piece of this defense and there's a lot on his plate. And so those are the two names that really pop for me based on that question, Ryan Bates and Taron Johnson. Obviously, look, 18 guys receive votes. They always deserve to receive votes. But to, to me, those would be 19 and 20 on the list. Matthew says, I had a follow-up question about the consensus top 10 list pots. At some point, we are not going to be able to keep everyone around. Don't get me wrong. I would love to keep everyone and continue to have the rosters that contain multiple top-tier players at corner, receiver, safety, D-line, O-line, linebacker, along with top-tier quarterback, tight end, and top-tier specialist, but it is just not feasible under the salary cap. So I was wondering of the players on the complete list, who would you be most okay with not extending or becoming a cap casually, and then at what point do you think Bean becomes uncomfortable pushing money into the future to remain cap compliant for that given year? The bills always come due. The bills always come due. No pun intended from Matthew there. 
This is a great question, but I also hate it. Because like I said earlier, I don't want to give up anything. I want these players to be in Buffalo. You know, I, I feel connected to them. I love how they fit this team. And so I, I don't I don't really like the idea of any of them going anywhere. But if you kind of pin me down and say, hey, you got to pick one, I guess it's Jordan Poyer. And, and I hate saying that because I love him so much. I feel like I've been pounding the table for this guy for years. But it comes back to replaceability. You know, the the... The Bills coaching staff, Sean McDermott, John Butler, Leslie Frazier, they have an off-the-charts resume of developing defensive backs, especially at safety. I mean, think about some of the players that Sean McDermott's been able to get production out of at safety, whether that's Kirk Coleman or Mike Mitchell or Micah Hyde or Jordan Poyer, Roman Harper. It just it didn't seem to matter who played safety for Sean McDermott. They produced. And given the replaceability, given Poyer's age, I guess that would be who I would choose, but understand that's very reluctantly, and I don't want to choose any of them. But I think, and this is something I've said a few times recently on the podcast, I think the Bills will and should prioritize youth and players they draft. Jordan Poyer doesn't really fit into that, although I hope he's extended and finishes career with the Buffalo Bills. Next one comes from Last Keezy. And my apologies if I didn't say that correctly. Laskizi says, I just listened to today's podcast and was surprised that no one ranked Taron Johnson in the top 10. I know slot corner isn't typically a premium position, but on the Bills defense, he's almost always on the field. He set out to me as an impact player in the playoff games two years ago against Baltimore and Pittsburgh. I understand him not being one of the consensus top players, but I'm surprised he didn't sneak onto somebody's list. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I look over the last two years of this project, and I love that we're building this, you know, year over year data, and you know we're going to continue this for as as long as I'm doing this podcast, which I hope is for a very very long time. Um, but you know, going over the last two years, 22 different ballots, Taron Johnson was not ranked on anybody's this year, and last year Nate Geary had him at number 10. So that's it, and Nate didn't include him this year. He didn't get any votes this year. He came off of a really good season. So um, I think it's fair, but I think it's just more of a testament to this roster and, and how good it is overall. And, you know, it's um, it's a really good problem to have. Charlie says, my question for her mentality from listening to the panel's top 10 is, who are the top 10 players in the AFC East that are going to be the biggest problem for the future of the Buffalo Bills? Very creative question. I like this a lot. And so, look, I have players for each team in the division that I want to bring up. In fact, we'll bring up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I have ten players down. I didn't include any of the quarterbacks. That's because all of these quarterbacks, Tua Tungabaloa, Mac Jones, Zach Wilson, they all have a lot to prove. You know, I think they can all be good starters. I think they have different ceilings but they have a lot to prove. And I think there's just as good of a chance that none of them become good starters. So I'm not really going to include them just because I just feel like we have to learn a lot more about all three of them. Again, I think they can all be good. I think they can all be bad. We'll find out. So with that out of the way, I just have different players from each team that I want to mention. We'll start with the Miami Dolphins. Both of those wide receivers, Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell. 
I mean, they, that is a special pair of receivers with a ton of speed that's going to present a lot of problems for any team. And then two other draft picks from last year, Javon Holland at safety and Jalen Phillips at defensive end. I think those guys are going to be absolute studs. I think really they both are. Phillips had 10 sacks last year as a rookie. Holland was unbelievable at safety. He can play in coverage, deep alignments, close to the line of scrimmage. He's a good punt returner. He tackles. He can take away the football. You know, he's wired the right way. He'll be a, a pillar of that organization for a long time. And so when I think about the Miami Dolphins, those four names really pop. And then look, I mean, they've got other good players. You think about the defensive line with Christian Wilkins, and, and now they've signed Melvin Ingram, and they brought back Emmanuel Ogba. You know, they've got some players there to be mindful of on that D-line. For the Patriots, I just have one name, Christian Barmore, um, rookie last year out of Alabama, defensive tackle. Thought he was awesome as a, as a rookie. And you know, he gave the Bills some problems last year, and I think he's just scratching the surface for what he can become. So I think he's, he's that player for the Patriots that I think has a real chance to be a stud in the NFL. I'll be honest with you, that's the only player that I put down on, the, on, on this list from the Patriots. And then the Jets have a few players that I think um, are going to be a problem for the Bills for a while. Quinn and Williams, a defensive tackle. Jermaine Johnson, one of their first-round picks this year. I think he's going to be a stud at defensive end. Sauce Gardner at corner, I think he's got a chance to be really good. And then between Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore at receiver, I think at least one of them are going to be outstanding players. And then I, even, I would even say Elijah Vera Tucker. Um, Offensive lineman that they traded up for last year in the draft. I think he's going to be a really high-impact starter at guard for them. So some nice pieces there for the Jets and the Dolphins. And the Patriots got some work to do. And then we'll find out about these quarterbacks. Last one today comes from Ben. Ben says, I have to say that there was one glaring omission from the consensus list of most important players that will impact the Bills for the next 10 years. The group talked a few times about Von Miller, Trey White, et cetera, are essential pieces to taking down Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, and I agree. But if we're framing the conversation like this, I think I would have to note Patrick Mahomes is the number two most important player to the Bills next 10 years. When we look back 10 years from now, we'll likely think of this decade as Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes, similar to the 2000s Colts Peyton versus Tom Brady. When you think of the Colts' legacy, it's hard to say that Bob Sanders and Edger and James were impactful to their level of success. Then the mountain they struggled to climb, Tom Brady. Without giving too much credit to Mahomes, how the Bills are able to handle him will define whether we think of this decade as a success or a failure. With that said, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. Would you slide Mahomes into your top 10, or do you have a different perspective? I appreciate this question in this line of thinking, Ben, and I, and I think there's a lot of merit to introducing the name Patrick Mahomes as a significant component to the success of the Bills moving forward and how they play against him. I will say that the spirit of the project that we did was not about players outside of the Buffalo Bills. I didn't open up that opportunity. And I'll be honest with you, even if I did, I, I would hope that we wouldn't pick Patrick Mahomes. And I'm not taking anything away from Mahomes. I've said repeatedly, I think he's the best quarterback in the NFL. Now, I'm excited, or I don't know if excited is a word. I'm interested in seeing what he looks like without Tyreek Hill because I think Tyreek Hill opens up a lot for Mahomes in the style of football that Mahomes chooses to play. And, and so, you know, I think that makes it difficult, uh, more difficult on Mahomes, more difficult on Travis Kelsey. You know, they're going to 
they're going to be a different looking team this year. So I want to see how he fares without Hill. And, you know, the Bills beat him last year in the regular season. And, I mean, I thought they played him well. And then you go to the AFC champ or the AFC divisional playoff game that the Bills lost. I mean, did the Bills really lose that game. I talked about this. Like in 2020, there was a gap, right? There was a huge gap between the Bills and the Chiefs. Now, I still think the Chief, the Bills were the second best team in the AFC that year, that year, but the gap between the Chiefs and the Bills was pretty sizable. You knew that after watching the AFC championship game. That's what made that easy for me to digest, is because the Bills just weren't as good as the Chiefs. And if you're just not as good, I can live with that, right? You're not as good. But when you just don't do the right things in a football game and you lose, you don't lose because the other team is better than you. You lose because you didn't play the game the right way. That's where I kind of take some exception. And so I say that to say that, yeah, Patrick Mahomes is a big reason why the Chiefs beat the Bills in the divisional playoff game. But the two throws that he made, with 13 seconds left to put the Chiefs in field goal range to send the game to overtime, anybody in the world could have made those throws. Anybody. Those weren't special throws. The Bills gave them those throws. And so if the Bills just play a normal final 13 seconds of that game, they advance, and we're not talking about Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. We're talking about, oh, what are the Chiefs going to do to take down the Bills because the Bills beat them twice. Like, do you realize how the result of that game impacted the entire conversation we have to have this offseason? And I think that's what pisses me off most about those 13 seconds. You didn't make Patrick Mahomes do anything special or hard or impressive to get that game tied. You didn't. You said, here's free access Make easy throws. You'll be in field goal range. You have timeouts. Congratulations. So I'm not going to sit here and admit that Patrick Mahomes is the is the Everest to the Buffalo Bills. I'm not. I'm not. Because they beat him in week six last year. And if they play a normal final 13 seconds of the game, they beat them. And all of a sudden, the conversation is, what is Patrick Mahomes going to do to beat the Buffalo Bills because obviously the Bills have figured it out. So no, I'm not willing to put Patrick Mahomes in this list, even if I did open it up. And I am simultaneously saying that I think Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in football. So don't twist my words here. I have all the respect in the world for Patrick Mahomes, but we don't have to sit here and act like he's the Everest of this team. All right, I'm good. That's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. I'm looking forward to tomorrow. Looking forward to tomorrow. I don't want to spoil it. Um, we have a good one coming your way, potentially with a guest. So stay tuned. Don't miss it. Make sure that you are subscribed. We'd love it if you took a second to rate and review the podcast. Have a great rest of your day, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.